And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. And welcome in to the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast for April 25th. Derek Van Riper here with the guest and one you're probably familiar with, Frank Stanfield is joining me this week. Frank writes at CBS Fantasy. He hosts the CBS Fantasy Baseball Today podcast. And, of course, you hear him during football season as well on the CBS Fantasy Football Today pod. Frank, thanks for joining me. Hey, what's going on, DVR? Thanks for having me. Appreciate uh, you extending the invite. Let's do it, man. I'm excited. What's up? Happy to have you here on a Sunday morning, especially. <laughs> That's never the, the easiest invite to put out there because you know, like, I want to sleep in. I don't. I don't want to, want to jump on the pod. So I appreciate you stepping in uh, with Michael Beller out this weekend. Uh, two start options are where I want to begin the conversation today because I think the pitching as a group is a lot more interesting than the hitters that we're considering on the waiver wire this weekend. So uh, let's talk about a few guys that are really borderline but interesting nonetheless. Austin Gomber has two road starts, and that definitely has my attention at San Francisco. And at Arizona, walks have been a bit of an issue for him early on this season. But are those matchups good enough for you to look past the possible skills flaws? I wouldn't do it. <laughs> maybe in an NL only, obviously. I mean, it's anybody who has a pulse you're starting there. Maybe in like a deeper points league because he can't hurt you that much. Or at least that's what we would hope. But I think there's still some chance like we can have some, a, a pretty bad whip in these two starts. The walks you mentioned, they were an issue. Seven walks in his first start. They've been a little bit better recently. Exactly two walks in each of his last two starts. Um, he's been all right, but he's done it with like a 160 BABIP, which I don't think is going to remain. Uh, on the road, definitely helps. At San Francisco, at Arizona. Arizona, actually... On paper, it looks like a good matchup, but they are first in baseball in weighted on base average versus left-handed pitching. So I don't necessarily like that. Uh, it, even in like a 15-team roto, I don't think that I could do it. What do you think? I see him as at least uh, the kind of guy you put on the bottom of your list if you're just looking to replace someone, right? You're just looking for innings. I think he's good enough to use, but maybe not necessarily good enough to prioritize. So it'd be like a min-bid or a near-min-bid situation for me. It is interesting that Arizona's been so good against lefties because I don't really look at that lineup and think this is a group of lefty killers. This is a bunch of righty power dudes that you're really worried about. So I think I'm looking at that as maybe something that's a bit of an early season aberration. And at San Francisco, the park just offers so much protection. Like I'm in, but it's one to 2% of a budget. Nothing, nothing really beyond that. Uh, Anthony Desclafani going twice this week, home against the Rockies road against San Diego. This seems like it happens I don't know, with three out of every four two-start pitchers, you get a good matchup and a bad matchup, and especially with the middling skills guys, you're left to decide how much pain you're willing to endure to have that possible easy win with maybe five or six pretty decent innings. What do you make of Descalfani at this point based on what you've seen from him with the Giants? Yeah, he's looked pretty good so far, and I've highlighted this stat a few times on the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast, but entering this season, Descalfani had a 4.94 career ERA in Great American Ballpark, and outside of there, 3.61. So 
you know, I guess, you know, obviously pitching in Oracle Park now and, and getting away from Cincinnati definitely is going to help him. And he's looked really good so far. I mean, his last start was not great, but 21 strikeouts and 21 innings pitched. A 57% ground ball rate for DiScofani early on. Really like to see that. And, of course, you love the start at home against the Rockies. Obviously, the Padres in San Diego, not so much. But this is definitely one that I can get behind more so than Gomber. And I think there might actually be some staying power with DiScofani, even in a 12-team league. I don't, I don't think it's crazy as like a back end of your rotation, SP6 kind of use him in the right matchup. So if he's available, I could see 3 to 5% in a 12-teamer. I mean, maybe a tad more in a 15-team, but I, I do think that there is some staying power with DiScofani. Yeah, I do think the move to San Francisco absolutely helps mask one of his biggest skills flaws, right? You take away an outrageous home run rate, and suddenly he can become pretty interesting because he does have the ability to miss some bats as well. So I'm with you on Descafani uh, over Gomber. I think that bid range makes a lot of sense to me as well. And the next guy here, Garrett Richards, at the Mets, at the Rangers, love the second start, not crazy, but the first one. The problem I have the velo's down more than a mile per hour from where it was in 19 and 20. And I know we're still looking at April velos compared to full season velos. So it's, it's possible to be down a little now and to still get it back. But is there any reason to be optimistic about Richards even beyond this two-start week? Because I'm pretty lukewarm on this. I think I've got him third out of this group of players we've talked about so far. Yeah, I would take Gomber ahead of Garrett Richards. It's just hard to find any redeeming quality right now, which... I don't want to talk bad about a guy, whatever. He's a professional <laughs> baseball player. What am I doing, right? I'm just here talking about him. But a 6.48 ERA so far for Garrett Richards. More walks than strikeouts on the season. Velo's down, as you mentioned. Not getting a lot of swings and misses. And the Mets are off to a slow start, but I feel like they can probably just turn it on at, at any given moment. That's a really, really strong lineup. And they've had the weirdest start to the season than probably anybody, given all their postponements and just crazy things going on with the New York Mets. Uh, I don't mind the start against the Texas Rangers, but... For to put those two starts together, those those two matchups, I I would stay away from Garrett Richards, even in the deepest leagues, honestly. Yeah, I think I'm circling that second start for daily moves leagues or leagues that are broken up into two parts. We play an elite together, GDD, the Gotham Diamond District, where you don't have to have both of those starts from Richards. So maybe there's some late week appeal for the Rangers. I'd throw almost anybody against the Rangers right now for what it's worth. That lineup strikes out a ton, doesn't have a lot of hitters that can really do considerable damage. So I think you can get away with putting even like fringe top 100 starters out there against them and, and live to tell about it and not completely destroy your ratios uh, in the process. Uh, I want to talk about a guy that could have two starts this week. His role is still a little bit up in the air. The Yankees may go with a six-man rotation. First start, still not even confirmed, though. And it's Davey Garcia. And I think there's always a little bit of a tax on Davey Garcia because he's a Yankee and Yankees prospects always cost a bit more. Are you in, though? Do you think this is actually something they're going to do, pushing ahead with a six-man rotation? And is he going to be used in a way that at least resembles the workload of a typical starter? Yeah, I do think that they are probably going to go with a six-man rotation. I mean, you look at that rotation right now, and there's a lot of question marks in it. Corey Kluber has not looked great, and he hasn't thrown much over the past couple of years. Same thing with Jamison Tyone. So I think that they're trying to protect these guys, and Domingo Herman has been inconsistent to this point. Davey Garcia... He was okay last year. The strikeout rate looked pretty good. I really liked the control that I saw from him more than anything because in the minors, he was consistently over three, four walks per nine at times. And last year, that was under two walks per nine in the major leagues. So I agree with you 100%. I think that there's a tax on him because he's a Yankees prospect. I like him as a prospect. I don't love him. He's a smaller guy, five foot nine. Kind of reminds me a little bit of Marcus Stroman. I think there's a little bit more swing and miss in his game than there is with Stroman. But if he's facing the Orioles and the Tigers this upcoming week, 
Love both of those matchups. They're both bottom eight in weighted on base average against right-handed pitching, and both are top five this season in swinging strike rate overall. So I would be pretty aggressive on him. I think five to six percent in a 12-team league and a 15-teamer, I, I could see going as high as like eight to 10 percent. Yeah, I was going to say the first number that popped in my head was 77 out of 1,000. Like that 7% marker is usually like if I, if I want a guy, that's where I'm starting. And then if I really believe there's more to it than that, I'll go even higher. I think you might have to do that to get Garcia. And I think it is probably a good way to manage the workload of Tyon and Kluber. I mean, Kluber just doesn't look right. And if at some point he's not even able to take the ball every sixth day, maybe Garcia sticks and gets volume that way as well. So I'm definitely with you. Love the matchups. Love the skills. I think I'd feel even better about Davey if they said they were going to throw an opener in front of him because the possibility of going less than five wouldn't scare me at all. But these matchups are such that he can go be very efficient against the Orioles and Tigers and possibly get those five innings anyway. Uh, let's talk about Spencer Turnbull for a moment. He came back from the COVID IL, pitched really well against the Pirates in his first turn of the season. He's home against the Royals. Then he has to go on the road to face the Yankees. And I think he fits a little bit into the Desclafani conversation as far as being a guy that you might actually want to have on your roster beyond this week. So that's why you could be willing to take on that rough start against the Yankees. I know people are all down on the Yankees offense because of their sluggish start. That's not going to hold for long. I've been pretty adamant about that on Twitter. I'm not a Yankees fan. I have no interest in them being good or bad other than my own fantasy teams. But I look at that lineup and I say, this is the same group that finishes top five in WRC plus year over year. They're going to be okay. They didn't age five years in one offseason. So I still look at that matchup and fear it, whereas some people out there want to just throw anybody they can against the Yankees right now. All that to say, what's your interest level in Spencer Turnbull at this point? I like Turnbull more so in deeper leagues, and I do think he has some more staying power. And if we're just talking about streaming for next week, I would probably put him ahead of Gomber and Garrett Richards of the names that we've talked about so far. I do like Davey Garcia a little bit more than him. I think there's more upside there. But uh, yeah, Turnbull was solid in his debut. Five innings pitched against the, the Pirates, six strikeouts. I mean, it's the Pirates, so take it with a grain of salt. <laughs> but he threw his slider way more than usual in that start, and that's something that I'll be paying attention to. 34% of the time he uses his slider against the Pirates in that debut. And uh, we've seen a few pitchers take off after you know just using their best pitch more. Patrick Corbin obviously comes to mind as someone who just basically pitches off of his slider and uses it like 40% of the time. I don't think Turnbull needs to use it that much, but I was interested to see that pitch mix change early on. So decent matchups. I think the Yankees can, you know, turn it on, like you mentioned, at, at seemingly any moment, especially in Yankee Stadium. So I worry about that one. But the Royals, they swing and miss quite a bit. Um, it's... It's one of those, again, where it's one good matchup and one tougher matchup. But I do think in a deeper league, in a 15-teamer, if you're desperate for a pitcher, I can get behind Turnbull there. One more name that could be interesting to a lot of people with a little bit of longer-term value is Adrian Hauser, mostly just because of the team that he plays for. I mean, the Brewers have done so well with pitching development in recent years that you have this glimmer of hope that maybe they'll find something with Hauser along the way too, and he'll take a step forward. Even if he doesn't, this week he's got the Marlins for his first start, but he's got the Dodgers for the second one. Both of those starts are at home. A similar problem to Turnbull for me, where I really like the first start, and I'm kind of terrified of the second one. Yeah, and I would rank him behind Turnbull. There's not much in the underlying numbers. He doesn't get many strikeouts at all, doesn't get a lot of swinging strikes. The ground ball rate is great, and that's what's helped Adrian Hauser thus far, a 62% ground ball rate, but a 3.32 ERA with a 1.53 whip. Obviously, something's not adding up there, and he hasn't gotten more than five innings in any of his starts, so even the possibility of a win seems 
tougher there. Might be able to happen against the Marlins. I think the Marlins are probably the best team to stream against right now as long as Stalling Marte is out. But the Dodgers are maybe the worst matchup. So you have the best and the worst matchup in the same week. So I think Adrian Hauser is a pass for me. Yeah, it really says something about the Dodgers that without Cody Bellinger, they're still that good. It's and they've crazy. lost a bunch of other depth guys, too. I mean, Taylor's banged up. Lux is out right now. Zach McKinstry went on the IL. And they're just like, nah, it's cool. We'll call up Sheldon Noisy. Uh, we'll throw Luke Rayleigh out there, and we'll be fine. We'll we'll, we'll hold it together. Um, but yeah, I, I don't really want that second start. So I think I'm in the pass pile as it pertains to Hauser. I don't even think he's a fallback option for me, even as a min-bid sort of player. I think that describes most of the other two-start pitchers. The names that caught my eye, I saw Rich Hill has two at home against Oakland and Houston. He's been brutal so far. I can't do it, Frank. I've had Rich Hill on a few deep league rosters so far this season, and he's more of a cut than a pickup for me right now. Yeah, especially these matchups, too. It really does not get much worse for a lefty who pitches to contact, right? The Astros lineup is just loaded with right-handed hitters, and they've looked amazing so far. So uh, especially in these matchups, it's Rich Hill. The velocity is up a little bit this year, but swinging strike rate under 7%. I'm with you. It's really hard to to defend Rich Hill in these matchups. Now, the Cubs kind of went their own way as far as how they uh, built their rotation, trading away you Darvish. Not great, of course. They could have just kept him. Uh, they wanted to go with the low velo, good stuff score type pitchers. That's what they seem to have done anyway. Zach Davies and Trevor Williams had the same matchups this week. Two on the road against Atlanta and against Cincinnati. And I know that both of those guys are capable of mysteriously having good weeks and pitching well in both of those spots. But I have no reason to believe that I can predict that it's going to happen. It's just one of those things. Like Zach Davies, I watched him for years. He's the kind of guy you want to root for, right? Not very big. Doesn't have the best stuff in the world at all, but gets it done anyway. And Williams, to me, is like a notch below Davies. So if I was going to take a chance on one, it is definitely Davies. Past results across the board, the ratios are just better for Davies' career. But can you trust either one of them, given how difficult those matchups are? I wouldn't. At at the Atlanta Braves and at the Cincinnati Reds, I mean, it's the two great lineups, two tough parks to pitch in as well. And Zach Davies, he's going to be better. I mean, he's not going to pitch to an 8 ERA, obviously. Uh, but, I mean, even thus far, more walks than strikeouts on the season for Zach Davies. Trevor Williams has actually kind of been interesting, but I mean, he has a long track record of not being great. Uh, so far this year, 12% swinging strike rate and 50% ground ball rate. Those are pretty interesting numbers, but especially in these matchups, maybe in like a deeper points league, just because, okay, what's the worst they could give you is close to zero, maybe negative fantasy points. But uh, in any type of league with like ERA, whip categories or Roto, it's just, I couldn't do it because there's definitely a chance that they just blow up twice. And the last name that seemed a little bit interesting to me was David Peterson. He's home against Boston on the road at Philly. I think at Philly is one of those starts that maybe bothers me more than most because the park is so hitter friendly. I think the lineup's actually good, though, too. Top to bottom, it's at least a well-above-average lineup in the National League. I think the other problem for me, though, Frank, I don't really know if David Peterson's good. Like, I, I just see a typical number 5 big league starter there, and I don't see a lot of ability to miss bats either. So do I have Peterson wrong, or is this also an avoid situation for you? Yeah, I didn't really like David Peterson coming into the year, but there were some people that were hyping him up, and so far, I mean, 6.75 ERA is brutal. The underlying numbers are actually pretty good for David Peterson. 2.70 XFIP and a 2.99 Sierra. I, I wouldn't trust those long term. Um, he, he has made a pitch mix change. He swapped his sinker and four seam usage. So I found that kind of interesting. I hate the matchups here. That's what it comes down to. And I think it's worth noting if the Red Sox are going to City Field to play the Mets, 
we might get closer to JD Martinez getting outfield eligibility. So that's something to watch there. Um, because I do think that they can play him in the outfield. They did that a little bit in spring training, but the Phillies in particular, I mean, they have some really big right-handed bats in there. Alec Bohm and Reese Hoskins is coming around as well. So, uh, I think it's more of a sit. Again, it's one of these in like a points league. Sure, you could take a shot on David Peterson, but any type of roto, I think you got to protect the ratios there. I, I I wouldn't play him against those matchups. Yeah, I know he's got 18 strikeouts already in 13 of the third innings. I just don't think that's who David Peterson is long-term yeah, as I agree. a pitcher. So skepticism prevails in this case. Now, I think a lot of the one-start pitchers this week are pretty solid as well. Uh, speaking of tax, Ryan Weathers, he pitched twice against the Dodgers and pitched well in both of those outings. That's going to get people hyped up. The only start this week for him comes at Arizona. We talked about the Diamondbacks being good against lefties a little bit earlier. Uh, I'm willing to take a chance, especially with Weathers, because I think there is long-term value here. I think the other fact that we have to consider, though, is do you share the Padres' optimism about Denelson Lamette making it back in relatively short order? Because I was stunned that they canceled the MRI he was scheduled for after he left that start after just two innings uh, earlier this week. What do you make of Ryan Weathers, and how long do you think he can hold on to a rotation spot for this Padres team? Yeah, I, I don't share the same optimism that the Padres have on Denelson Lamed. It's it, it seems like one of those situations where they almost didn't want to find out what was wrong with him. <laughs> you send him for an MRI, and you find out, okay, well, Tommy John surgery confirmed. Speculation, of course, but um, yeah, it just doesn't look good for Denelson Lamed dating back to last year that it's been a forearm, a bicep injury. Normally, those things kind of predate uh, a Tommy John surgery, and he's had Tommy John on that arm already. So I don't really have much optimism in, okay, maybe he makes it back, but I don't think long-term he's going to be able to stay healthy, Lamet for this season. Ryan Weathers, I think he's kind of been overshadowed by the fact that he's a prospect in the same organization as Mackenzie Gore, but Weathers is a former first-round pick as well back in 2018. The minor league numbers are okay. They are not. They don't blow you away, but he's looked really good thus far in his first two starts and some relief appearances as well. He's basically just a four-seam and a slider, and I do agree that I think, look, Arizona's not going to be the best team against left-handed pitching all season long, so there will be some regression. I think there's some staying power here as well. Even if Denelson Lamette finds a way to return, I think that that's a rotation that can also go with a six-man rotation, and uh, I like what I've seen from Ryan Weathers. So even in a deeper league, 15-teamer, 2-3%, maybe 4 if you're really aggressive, um, and a 12-teamer, maybe like 1-2%, to but I do think there's some staying power for Ryan Weathers. Yeah, I'm definitely with you on being interested. I might even go a tick higher because I I think there are other injury concerns in the Padres rotation even beyond Lamette's situation. I think that was probably, for me, the biggest criticism I had of the group of pitchers they brought in. As I, I look at Blake Snell as a guy that has at least heightened injury risk. We saw Clevenger go down already. I mean, even Joe Musgrove has a difficulty holding velocity over full seasons and staying healthy over full seasons. So I think even if Lamette ends up being okay and Weathers has to go back to the pen for a little while, it might not be long before that next opportunity opens up. And Mackenzie Gore, I, I want to believe, and it's just so hard because without minor league games, we're just left to get secondhand accounts of what's happening at the alternate site. And we think back to what we saw back in spring training when you'd see flashes of the pitcher that people say he's supposed to be. But then you also saw a lot of that inconsistency that seemed to be plaguing him in the upper levels of the minor leagues, too. So it really feels like Weathers has passed Gore in the short term. Like He's the guy they trust more. If their season's hanging in the balance and they have both of those guys on full rest, it's Weathers over Gore, at least for now. Maybe that can change over the course of the summer. Maybe Gore can come up and pitch well for a few months and 
absolutely be a, a playoff caliber starter for them. But I do think some of the appeal for Gore has has faded for me. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. And it, it's the control has been the biggest issue for Mackenzie Gore. And we saw the same thing in spring. I think it was either eight or 10 walks in 12 innings pitch. So that's what, what hampered Mackenzie Gore at the upper levels of the minors. And last year, they were willing to call up nearly any starting pitcher in their minor leagues except for Mackenzie Gore. So I think that they still, there's some seasoning there for him and they want to see him in games. So I think it's, you know, maybe by late May or early June, we can. there's a chance we could see Mackenzie Gore, but that's probably only if Ryan Weathers is pitching poorly. Yeah, I'm probably closer to the 4 to 5% range on Weathers, at least in uh, deeper mixed leagues, maybe even a little more than that, depending on what I need pitching-wise. I know in GDD, my pitching's a mess, so I might have to pay a couple extra bucks just to... Let's make, make a sure trade, DVR. Him. Come on, man. Let's make a trade. I know we were talking. We were close. Maybe we'll get one in before the end of the show today. <laughs> Let's talk about a former Padre, Luis Patino, coming up. Supposed to be activated from the taxi squad by the Rays on Sunday. So that leaves a lot of questions about whether or not he's actually still on the roster during the week and who he'll be pitching against. We don't know how many innings he's going to throw if he debuts on Sunday. Uh, so a ton of questions, but also a lot of talent. And I think the Rays, with situations like the Rich Hill one that we talked about earlier, they have opportunities. So if they believe he's ready, there's not situation where they can't fit him in so what's your approach with Patino this weekend is it a wait and see and what the outing looks like in terms of you know workload and efficiency before you you cast that bid or are you sort of interested regardless of how he looks on Sunday I am interested regardless of how he looks I mean I definitely want to see you know if is he just an opener is he used multiple innings because the, the Tampa Bay Rays, for fantasy, they, they're very frustrating. Uh, I mean, from a pure baseball perspective, they do everything right. It seems like they develop these guys well. They have their own plan. They kind of do... They, they march to their own beat. They don't do what other teams do. But uh, it's frustrating for fantasy at times because a lot of these guys are limited. We've seen it so far with Brent Honeywell. He's looked okay in these short spurts, but obviously coming back from a ton of injuries. And they'll pitch him multiple innings at a time. And uh, I don't know that they're going to be as safe with Luis Patino, but I think they are going to be pretty safe. So maybe it's only used as an opener. Maybe it's a bulk reliever at some point, but I do think because he pitches for the Tampa Bay Rays, that kind of limits his fantasy upside, at least for this season. I think if I have him in a keeper or dynasty league long-term, he could be awesome. There's a lot of swing and miss in that game, and the minor league numbers are very, very gaudy. I wouldn't really look at anything he did last year with the Padres and the majors and be worried about Luis Patino, but I think just because he plays for Tampa, it kind of, limits his upside. So I'm interested, but I kind of want to see how he's used as well. Yeah, I think one of the most difficult things about making decisions on young players right now, of course, is the absence of the 2020 minor league season. It's even harder for someone like Weathers, who we talked about earlier, where the leap was, I think, low A to the big leagues. Like, yeah. There's so much missing information there. He could have got so much better at high A and double A that we would have been a lot more excited about him. And that development occurred in the Groundhog's Day scenario. That is the alternate side. But even for someone like Patino, I mean, I imagine he would have seen a lot more action at double A and triple A had there been a season a year ago. And that would have really helped us a lot compared to the 17 and a third we saw from him with the Padres, where the walk rate was really high and home runs were a problem. Like he was a 20 year old making his debut. Like, it, it just, just the fact that he was in the big leagues at all was pretty impressive. So I think it's, it's going to take us some time to recover from 2020 just from a simple perspective of analyzing prospects without that information at least it's going to take me some time because i need that i need a number scout i don't oh, yeah. get i don't get a chance to see prospects live as much as i would like to and uh you know that's something i'd like to change at, at some point 
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, Frank, let's get back to some of these one-star pitchers for this week. Drew Smiley had a start postponed on Saturday. It changed up his matchup. He was going to get the Cubs during the upcoming week. Now he's going on the road to face the Jays. He's not widely available in my leagues. I think there's one 12-team league where he's out there. So of the players we've talked about so far, he might be the most rostered of the bunch. But do you trust what he was doing in the shortened season enough to go ahead and and pick him up in leagues where he is still available? Yeah, I I like Drew Smiley. I like what I've seen in the velocity up the past couple of years and just using that curveball as much as he has and getting a good amount of swings and misses and uh, I don't think he's going to be someone that gives you a lot of volume in terms of innings pitch. He's probably going to hover around five innings more often than not. But can he give you a strikeout per inning in that time? Yeah, I, I think that's possible. I don't love the matchup if he's going up against the Blue Jays in Dunedin this upcoming week. But definitely someone I would want to have on my roster and kind of just play based on the matchups. And I think there's a good chance that he's going to give you a decent amount of strikeouts this season. I, I like Drew Smiley. Yeah, I was kind of careful with him during draft season just because I... I was putting a premium on previous workloads and, and guys that I think are, are durable. And unfortunately, that doesn't describe Drew Smiley. He's no. had a lot of injuries. <laughs> He's been inconsistent on top of that. I thought it could have been a savvy signing for the Braves, and obviously it still could be. Uh, so I, I'm probably going to take that chance again in leagues where I'm desperate for pitching if he's out there, but uh, I don't have him anywhere right now. So he's one of those guys. I feel bad when this happens. He's the kind of pitcher, if he gets smashed, it's only good for me. It, it just it makes me feel good because it's not destroying my ratios. Plenty of other guys have done that, uh, but Drew Smiley doesn't impact me at all. He only helps me if he doesn't pitch well. Uh, his teammate, Wasker Noah, has a start against the Cubs. I don't know what to make of him because I think he's absolutely the kind of guy, if we'd seen great minor league numbers last year, maybe the adjustments he made would have been borne out in some great numbers in the upper levels of the minor leagues. But he's got a 25 to 4 strikeout to walk ratio in 22 innings, and he really rebounded well from a poor start last weekend against the Cubs. So what's your trust level with Wascar Inoa going back against the Cubs this week? Yeah, typically I don't like when pitchers, especially younger pitchers, face a lineup the second time in a very short period of time, and we've seen that early on so far this season. I guess it's probably COVID-related, but they want the schedule to be more compact so that teams are facing each other more often than not. But I, I really just don't like that, especially with younger pitchers. I, I like what I've seen from Enoa. I just don't necessarily like the the Cubs matchup in this short period. But uh, is it sustainable? Probably not. I, I, he's probably going to regress at some point. But he's really only throwing two pitches. It's a fastball, the slider, the fastball velocity way up for him. He's getting a lot of swings and misses on the slider. So I think teams are probably going to catch up to him at some point, only throwing those two pitches. But 
specifically the first time that he faces a lineup, I think that he can be dominant. That doesn't describe what we're talking about here with the Cubs. I like him, just not really not uh, not so much in this matchup. Yeah, I think that's sort of where I'm at too. The Cubs, for all their flaws, they're still an offense that can do damage. They're still not an offense that I'm throwing lower end starters against, right? We talked about, I think it was uh, the D-backs earlier, no, the Rangers earlier. I'll throw just about anybody against them. I don't have that attitude towards the Cubs at all. I mean, I know Javier Baez has struck out a ton so far. I know that the bottom of the lineup's not great, but the top of that lineup is still, to me, enough to make them an average and possibly an above average offense for the entire season. So I'm passing on Wascari Noah. Uh, at least if I have him and can reserve him, I'll do that. I'm not going to pick him up for the purpose of streaming him for this matchup, even though he has impressed to this point. Let's talk about Alex Cobb. He gets the aforementioned Rangers on the road. Are you here uh, to use him despite the fact that he had a bumpy outing last time out against Houston? Man, Alex Cobb, he did, did it again. It was what his first two starts where he kind of sucks us in. We're back. He's throwing the, the splitter as much as he is, and he's getting all these swings and misses, all these strikeouts. The underlying numbers look great heading into his start this past week. But then he went up against the Houston Astros, a patient lineup. He was wild in that one. He got hit around hard. So I think that he is a matchup play. In a 12-teamer at Texas, I think you could probably do better. But in deeper leagues, if uh, if you have Alex Cobb on your bench and you wanted to throw him in there, I don't have a problem with it. I think he's going to be pretty inconsistent all season long. And I said this before DVR about pitchers that rely on the splitter as much as they do, they could just be prone to these games where they blow up, they kill your whip because it's it's hard. It, it's a pitch that's hard to locate at times. So specifically for Cobb, someone who throws a splitter over 30% of the time, we've seen the same thing with Gosman in the past where he's been a little bit inconsistent here and there. So I think he's a streamer in the right matchups and this is the right matchup, but more so in deeper leagues for me with Alex Cobb. Yeah. And I think the other thing that stands out to me with Cobb is for, for the last three years in Baltimore, the park was working against him so much. I mean, Anaheim, I think is closer to neutral from a power perspective and going up against that Rangers team. We talked about like, that's a great matchup. But I, I think you've you've done kind of what we did with Anthony Desclafani by taking him out of Baltimore. You've taken away one of his major skills flaws. Cobb's never walked that many guys. So you're not worried about him walking the world most times out. A little surprised to see the K rate jump as much as it has early on this season. So kind of like David Peterson, I'm not looking at that K rate and saying, yes, that's Alex Cobb now. He's the guy with the double-digit K rate. But I definitely like this start. I think this is exactly the kind of time where you want to go ahead and jump in if he is, in fact, still out there in your league. Uh, how about Luke Weaver? I, I am constantly wrong about Luke Weaver because just when I think he's unlocked something and he's going to go ahead and take that step forward, he falls on his face. It's been one really good start so far, but he's home against the Rockies. This is the worst lineup in the league. You take him outside of Coors, there's really nothing to fear at all. I realize it's a dangerous thing to say when we're talking about Luke Weaver, but it almost seems like things can't go wrong for him barring getting hurt in this start. Yeah, it's been kind of a weird career for Luke Weaver. He had that awesome 2019 where it looked like he was breaking out, but he only wound up making 12 starts that season. I think it was a forearm injury, so I thought more was going to come of that, and he's kind of pitched through whatever he's needed to, but I, I wonder if it's just been lingering the past couple of years, and that's why he hasn't been able to bounce back. So far this season, you mentioned it, he made one really good start, and, and the rest has kind of been math for him, and he's basically just fastball and changeup exclusively so far this season, and the changeup is far and away his best pitch. This one is, it's like Alex Cobb for me, but I would rank Weaver even a little bit lower. So, deeper leagues, 15-teamers, sure, you need a stream. 
at home against Colorado, the Rockies on the road this year, they're 29th and weighted on base average outside of Coors Field. So I could get behind the matchup in a deeper league, but long term, I just I don't think that there's enough there for Luke Weaver to be excited about, but like Cobb, someone you can use uh, in the right matchups. Yeah, I'm probably looking at 2 to 3% of a budget on Weaver or Cobb, and I think I'd also prefer Weaver over Cobb as you do this week. Uh, smiley over both where available, but saying that knowing he's just not available in that many places. And then all of these guys for me are just a notch below Weathers and Patino, even with some of the uncertainty we discussed about uh, Patino's role initially. This next guy has been confusing me all season, Taylor Widener. I just didn't see a start like this coming from him. He's got the Padres, so this isn't really a streaming question. This is more of a, hey, he's still out there, and I've got a bench spot I can use for a starter that I'm going to use half the time or two-thirds of the time. This would be the other half or the one-third of the time where you don't want to use him going up against the Padres. But an 18-6 to strikeout-to-walk ratio so far, ERA under three. Whip looks pretty good as well. Season-high seven strikeouts last time out against the Reds. So what do you make of what you're seeing from Taylor Widener at this point? I'm interested. There's, I mean, the minor league numbers have been okay for Widener. He's someone who's actually been able to get a good amount of strikeouts in the minor league. So I actually think there's a little bit more strikeout upside than what he showed us thus far. I'm not saying he's going to turn into a must-start pitcher at any point, but someone that we can stream in the right matchups. This is not one of those matchups, as you mentioned, against the Padres. But uh, the one thing that worries me, he pitches a lot of fly balls, and obviously this is not the environment in today's baseball where you want to be a fly ball pitcher. And, and so far, he is allowing 46% of the time fly balls. So uh, I'm interested. I actually think there's some strikeout upside um, in the right matchups, but this week against the Padres, no. But uh, in terms of just... Uh, versus like Enoa and, and Smiley and Weathers and Patino. I would rank him behind those guys, but I do think he's kind of in that same bucket. He's just right behind them for me. Yeah, maybe part of the best of the rest group where we're talking about guys like maybe John Lester coming back. He's more of a streamer for me, mm-hmm. getting the Marlins at home. You know, the Pirates have a couple guys, Tyler Anderson and Mitch Keller. They have the Royals this week. They're both widely available Cole Irvin's out there against the Rays. You know, Wade Miley's out there with a home start against the Cubs. Maybe we'll get Eric Lauer for a spot start against the Marlins. I mean, they're all candidates in deeper leagues for the most part. Is there anybody in that group that stands out to you as maybe being a little more interesting than we once thought? Because I've heard Eno get into Tyler Anderson a little bit, and he's definitely not a guy who was on my radar coming into the season. No, I don't think he was on anyone's radar, really. But um, Tyler Anderson, he's he's looked all right so far, and, and he's getting a good amount of strikeouts. And if there's one thing the, the Royals have in their lineup, it is a lot of swing and miss. They are currently 12th in baseball uh, in terms of swinging strike rate. They, they swing and miss the 12th most in the league. And uh, I don't think it's a bad matchup for Tyler Anderson. So more of a deeper league play there. DVR, I've wanted Mitch Keller to be a thing forever, man. It's, you know, it's how many times can this guy... You, he looks good. You pick him up. You put him in your lineup. I kind of call this like the Danny Duffy effect, right? Danny Duffy has two good starts on the waiver wire. You pick him up. You put him in your lineup. Then he blows up on your team. You drop him. Looks good on the waiver wire. You pick him back up. He blows up on your team. Now, to uh, in, in all fairness to Danny Duffy, he's looked much better this year. But that's kind of the same mold that Mitch Keller has been in. And, and I want him to be something, but it just... It hasn't worked out. The fastball command is just not there for him. He's not really getting a lot of swings and misses. So of this group, specifically in the matchup, if you're just looking for someone, Tyler Anderson is that one for me. I'm, I'm crossing my fingers long-term for Mitch Keller, but um, I need to see more from him. And Keller's one of those guys where the velo on the fastball is good, even maybe a slight tick above average, but 
the ride is non-existent. It's just a flat pitch that hitters can kill. And he still throws it 55% of the time. Part of this seems like a game plan problem. I guess the the counter-argument to that is, well, if he's throwing it 55% of the time, it's because he doesn't have enough other good secondaries, which is probably part of the problem, too. If he could throw something else more, he would. They could max out his slider, try to throw that 35 or 40% of the time, but I don't know if that's necessarily something you want to do with a guy as young as Mitch Keller. Maybe you want to figure it out and make him more sustainable in the long run instead of turning him into essentially a two-pitch guy. I think that could be very problematic. But uh, yeah, I, I thought he'd be at least decent, and I barely see a case for streaming him even in favorable spots. We right just need now. him. We just need him to be traded away, DVR. So, oh yeah, yeah. Like Joe Musgrove and and Garrett Cole and all the Pirates pitchers before him. You, you get him out of Pittsburgh, and maybe Mitch Keller becomes a thing. That's probably his best chance at this point because yeah some other team with a pitching lab would change something about everything and then all of a sudden he'd be a completely new pitcher Uh, let's get to some relievers I think it's a a funny week for bidding on relievers because no one to my knowledge has taken over a bullpen this week so there's not some obvious throw 20% of your budget at this guy because the previous closer got hurt it's still early Sunday games haven't started yet so I should probably knock on some wood as I say that but uh Rysel Iglesias, I liked him a lot coming into the season, Frank. I'm not completely bailing on him right now, but I'm definitely concerned that he's leaving the door open, potentially, for somebody else in that pen to possibly take over save chances. I don't know how many more bad outings Rysel Iglesias gets before Joe Madden actually makes that switch, but I'm curious if you're speculating on anybody in that bullpen, given what we're seeing from Iglesias so far. Yeah, like you, I, I was very high on Rice Lake Iglesias. I, I had him ranked inside my top five closers coming into the season. I think one of my bold predictions was that he actually leads baseball in saves with, you know, it was 40 to 45 saves, something like that. And so far, it, it hasn't been the case, but the, the underlying numbers are still fantastic. That That's what's so weird for me. And he's just one of these guys where whenever he's used in a non-save situation, it feels like he just gets blown up. I don't know if it's some kind of like, mental approach where like he eases up when he's in a non-save situation or whatever it is but uh, the strikeouts are still there he's not really walking anybody I think long term he's going to be fine but if I were speculating there are a few veterans on that team that do have closing experience Tony Watson and Steve Ciszek are ones that I noticed so far this year their numbers have looked pretty good I think coming into the season it probably would have been Mike Myers for me but he's had a few rough outings recently I think Tony Watson is probably the name that I'd watch even though he's a lefty and Typically, we don't see lefties used very much in the closer role, but he does have that experience. He's looked good this year, and he was pretty good the past couple of seasons. So uh, if I were speculating, it would probably be one of C-Sheck or Watson. I've started to wonder, too, if the extra innings rules for closers, or any reliever, if that just has some kind of compounding effect, right? You get in the game, you got to run around second base. Runner scores, even if it's not an earned run, that still messes with you as a pitcher. One hundred percent. Yep. So I mean, I, I, he's had a couple of extra innings appearances. He closed one out for a save, and the most recent blow up against Houston was in the tenth inning. So I, I don't know. I, I wonder if that gives teams, if that makes teams a little more patient with closers. If they, if they blow an opportunity in extra innings, maybe it doesn't matter quite the same way that entering the game with a one run lead in the ninth might impact your hold on the job, but. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know if I even want to stash Tony Watson, though. He might be the guy that I'm looking at, but I'm not necessarily the guy that I'm putting on my roster at this point. Uh, we saw Jordan Romano come back for the Jays on Saturday. I don't know if this was making the rounds on Twitter. I had the game on while I was eating dinner, and Romano has this this squat that he does. Like He gets ready to, to make his delivery, and he, he kind of hits like a almost a full squat. 
and the crowd at the trop got really into it. They were just hitting a, a loud like woo every time he did it, and it was amazing. And I, I thought like I've never seen something so subtle get picked up on by fans that quickly. And I wondered if it was actually getting in Romano's head a little bit. Velo wise, ninety four to ninety five, so it's just a slight tick below where he's been. I think he pushes ninety six, ninety seven when everything's working for him. It wasn't a very good outing. I'm looking at this bullpen. I think they're just full-blown committee like the rest of the way. And I don't even know if I want any of the Jays relievers on my roster if I can help it. I mean, Dolis might end up sharing. Romano might get some. Merriweather's down for a while. What are you doing with this Jays bullpen? Yeah, I do think it's a full-blown committee, which is weird because the past couple of years, it seems like they've always kind of just gone to one closer. And coming into the year, we, we thought it was going to be just one closer as well, uh, and, and now things have just completely um, gone sideways for the, for the Toronto bullpen. So I do think it's going to be a committee. I, I would say as of now, who gets the next save chance? I, I would say it's probably Dolis. I think if Merriweather can get healthy, he's dealt with a lot of injuries in his past, and apparently he almost didn't even make the, the opening day roster coming into the season because he's dealt with so many injuries and, and now he's been shut down for a little bit. So maybe long-term, he is still the guy, but Jordan Romano, he was dealing with, um, it was something in his elbow. I think it was like a nerve-related issue with like his, it's like the funny bone or something like that. And um, the, the velocity here looks pretty concerning, I would say. He's down two miles per hour from where he normally is. So uh, I'm a little bit worried about Jordan Romano. I think Rafael Delis probably gets the next save, but I'm with you 100%. I, I think it's a full-blown committee. The other question I have for you just with relievers, like is there anybody else right now that you're trying to pick up on the cheap? Because it's better. It's better to bid on relievers now when there's not an obvious throw your money at this guy sort of scenario. Uh, any other situations you've been monitoring closely? Like for me, the Giants, I mean, Jake McGee is probably the guy until he gets traded later this summer. Uh, but I'm definitely watching Gregory Santos closely. Comes up, you know, has the Upper 90s velo, nice slider. Looks like he could be the closer of the future. I don't know if there's much actionable with him beyond keeper in dynasty leagues, but is there anybody else you're speculating on right now? Well, I guess we just talked about the Blue Jays, right? And it's a complete mess, but maybe you can pick up a few saves here and there. I think it was uh, Tim Meza came in to start the ninth the other day, and Anthony Castro wound up picking up the save. So uh, I could look at a few of the, the, the Blue Jays situation there and the Cincinnati Reds is kind of all over the place like this is one where I just I really liked Amir Garrett coming into the season he's looked terrible but Lucas Sims seemed like he was going to get an opportunity he didn't pitch well the other day he got blown up a little bit so I, I would be speculating on the Reds situation I don't necessarily know who it's TJ Antone I think I wish they would just move him one way or the other either towards being a starter or being the closer because I think he can have a ton of fantasy value either way I have a lot of shares of him and I'm hoping for that, but uh, maybe he's someone that gets an opportunity. Sean Doolittle is a veteran name there in that bullpen, but he hasn't looked great either so far. The other one is the Royals situation where Greg Holland, he went on the IL. I believe he was reinstated, uh, but it seems like they've kind of gone with a committee approach. So Josh Stalmont has had some great numbers the past couple of seasons and even picked up a save recently. So the Reds and Royals are, are kind of, to me, like the Blue Jays, a tougher situation to figure out. But if you just want to kind of pick a name out of a hat in any of those situations, I would, those are probably the bullpens I'd be looking at. Yeah, I think Lucas Sims is still pretty interesting to me. Love the mm -hmm. uh, the highlight of him refusing to take a ball from the home oh, plate so player. In the, did you see the pitching ninja? <laughs> he did like the overlay of the mechanics of just like throwing away four different <laughs> balls at once. It was hilarious. 
Yeah, that was incredible. I mean, I I liked Garrett coming to the season too. He has always had some issues with walks, and and those really haven't gone away. So I think that's part of the problem for him uh, right now too. And Sims, to me, you can probably bid on him cheap right now unless he comes out and closes out a game Sunday afternoon, in which case you're going to pay a little extra. But I wouldn't be surprised if, if he ended up taking the job. The other thing, though, even if those situations, Toronto, Cincinnati, Kansas City, even if they all remain shared bullpens going forward, I think the list is a little shorter in Cincinnati than it is in those other two places. So that's part of the appeal for me. At least if we're only chopping up saves two ways instead of cutting them four or five, then we're talking 15 to 20 saves even from the second option if it's a good team that wins a lot of close games. Yep, I like that. And it's, it's a good point and one that you have to consider right now. I mean, look, it's there's a lot of teams in baseball that I think are kind of going with this approach of using multiple relievers, and we've seen it more so than ever the past couple of seasons. So, yeah, especially in those bullpens where you can chop it down to just two players, like you said, I think Cincinnati is definitely one of those. Yeah, so... Good week to speculate if you have anybody you like on the wire because it might not cost as much this week as it will if that pitcher actually takes over the job going into an upcoming weekend. All right, Frank, let's get to some bats. It's a light week for hitters, but we do have one prospect coming up, and that, of course, is Alex Kirilov. With Kirilov now available in leagues where he may have previously been dropped and even undrafted in some shallow mixed leagues, I think the first question is, What's the cutoff for the type of league in which you're willing to roster him and, and throw him right into your lineup? I think that he's a must-add. I think regardless of format, however shallow it is, I mean, even in 10-team leagues, I think you get him on your team and just kind of see what happens with Alex Kirilov because there's a lot of potential. And, you know, one of the top prospects in baseball, one of the top prospect for the Minnesota Twins, former first-round pick in 2016, plus hit tool, plus power, uh, so far in his minor league career, 317 batting average, 863 OPS. He has looked overmatched so far at times, super small sample size, but he didn't look great in spring training. He hasn't looked uh, great so far this year. No, he was called up for a, a doubleheader where uh, he didn't really perform well. I think he went 0 for 3 or whatever it is, but it's super small sample size, and I think there's still a lot to be excited about for him. I think the fab situation is probably... What I'm trying to figure out, like if he's available in a 12-team league, do you, it's like 10 to 15%, is that going to be enough to get him? I remember a couple of years ago, DVR, I, I was in on Carter Keyboom in 2019. I think I spent like 30% of my fab budget and it was just like, uh, man, it was such a mistake. And was like, I've never forgiven Carter Keyboom since, which obviously is not fair to him, but um, yeah, it was just a huge mistake. So, I mean, if he's available in a 12-team league, how much fab do you think uh, Alex Kirilov actually goes for? Yeah, 15% is to me kind of the expected low-end range. Yeah. If you're talking about like an NFBC league with a lot of really seasoned, aggressive players, then we could be talking maybe 25% at the high end. I think the thing about Kirilov that really stands out, if you look at the projections, especially Zips, Zips has him at 283, 324, 454. I mean, for a player that has all of... 10 regular season big league plate appearances under his belt. That's actually a really strong projection from a profile perspective. He kind of reminds me of Michael Conforto. If you think back to when Conforto came up, it wasn't just smooth sailing immediately. He did have that demotion. I think the, the second year he was in the big leagues, went back to AAA for a while, got right and has been pretty good ever since. Uh, but, you know, we're talking about a guy in Conforto that actually had some success right away. Hit 273, 35, 506 as a 22-year-old rookie back in 2015, hit nine homers in those 56 games. So I think if you kind of take that sort of expectation 
molded over 120 or so games, you're looking at a guy that could threaten 20 home runs in part because Minnesota is one of those parks that plays a little more hitter friendly, especially once the weather warms up. And there's not really a lot of competition for him for that playing time. They really cleared the path for Alex Kirilov when they non-tendered Eddie Rosario back in the winter. So you don't look at Jake Cave and Brent Rooker and those guys as real threats. I mean, Kirilov's biggest threat might be another prospect. It might be Trevor Larnack. And I think Larnack's going to need the minor league season to start, and he's going to have to mash in the upper levels of the minor leagues to even put that pressure on Kirilov. Yep. And, you know, just doesn't come with the same prospect pedigree. And I agree with you. And I actually have Larnack in a few of my uh, draft champions leagues. I took him later on. And just because the reason you mentioned, I mean, the Twins outfield, there's not a lot of competition there. So outside of Kirilov and obviously Buxton has been amazing. Just stay healthy, Byron Buxton. Uh, I, I think there's a chance that we could see Larnack at some point this this year as well. But yeah, no, I like that Conforto comp. I think that makes a lot of sense. Kirilov expected to make a good amount of contact as well, plus batting average. So if he can push 20 home runs, I mean, there's a lot of value there, regardless of what type of league format you play in. Roto, points league. I don't think he's going to strike out all that much. So obviously in a points league, he helps you as well. But uh, he's probably going to go for a good amount of fab. It's, you know, that 15% on the low end, 25% on the higher end, like you mentioned. Yeah, so if you have a gaping need in your offense, I think you could get some help from Alex Kirilov. Let's talk about Adelis Garcia. He came up on last week's show because he popped up and was actually hitting pretty high in the order for Texas. I see this profile, and I see a flawed player, but I see a fun player. And I see a guy that on a bad team gets a lot of chances to play. The comp I made just from a hey, you know, the playing time might be there perspective is Danny Santana. The Rangers accepted all of Danny Santana's flaws and played him a lot in 2019. And I think with Garcia, maybe there's not quite as much speed there, but there's definitely raw power in that bat. And I don't know where it all ends up into the season, if it's 230 or 240 with the batting average, but if he plays nearly every day from now until the end of the year, I think he's easily going to pop 20 home runs. Yeah, no, the pop is for real. <laughs> 32 home runs in the minor leagues back in 2019 in 132 games. He, also, he had 253, so there's a bit of swing and miss, and he's aggressive. Uh, he's going to strike out quite a bit. He doesn't walk all that much, so obviously in like OBP or points leagues where you know plate discipline obviously matters more than I, I do think that he takes a bit of a step back but I'm excited about him what I've seen so far he has five home runs in 11 games and I, I picked him up in my home league which is a 12 team points league so even that's a shallower ish type format so we only start four outfielders in that league I would I would look to grab him right now and there's a lot of outfielders we spoke about this on the podcast as well um, it, it's like really outside of the top 30 ranked outfielders coming into the season it's been all over the place. Like there's been a lot of outfielders in like that middling range that have really not performed so far. So if you do need some pop from your outfield, I think Garcia is going to get an opportunity to play as long as he's playing this well. Um, batting average is going to be lower, but I do think the pop is for real. I'm at the point now. I've said this before, but I, I think we're, we're so even as a, a group in terms of what we're looking at to analyze skills that, there's almost more value to be had in being better at projecting playing time. And I think with Garcia, if you're focused too much on projections and just the, the flaws, you'll pass on him. But if someone who just says, hey, this guy's played every game, started every game for the Rangers since April 13th, and he's hit cleanup in more than half of those games, like, that means something. It, it, it matters. Counting stats matter, right? Playing time is a big deal in our game. And sometimes I think we, we overlook a lot of playing time and a prominent role because 
through the sabermetric lens that we all want to use to analyze players, we see a guy that's just very flawed. Yeah, no, and I think even more so because he plays for the Rangers too. So this is, we, we say it every year, It's there are players that are discounted because they're on bad teams, but if you're batting cleanup, even for one of the worst lineups, it reminds me of Trey Mancini a couple of years ago when he was you know batting third consistently for the Baltimore Orioles. Great park to hit in, playing every single day, and I think he wound up with like 200-plus runs plus RBI, and that was in one of the worst lineups in baseball, but it was just because he was playing every single day and he was batting third. So I think it's a good point that you bring up about Garcia. Let's talk about some other bats to consider this weekend. I wasn't kidding when I said it. It seems like it's more thin than usual in terms of hitters. I mean, some of the names we've talked about in recent weeks, DJ Stewart continues to play a lot. Uh, Billy, Billy McKinney's situation with the Brewers looks pretty good for at least another week because the Brewers are still looking for answers with Christian Yelich's back. So that could be a little longer before that playing time dries up. Uh, Justin Williams has started to hit a bit for the Cardinals. He started 10 games in a row entering Sunday and he's striking out, but he is drawing walks and over his last 12, he's hitting 273 with a 385 OBP and a 455 slugging percentage. So I, I think just because the Cardinals are so desperate for secondary sources of offense behind Arenado and Goldschmidt and Edmund, Williams is giving himself a shot to hold on to a role even as that outfield gets a little healthier. Yeah, and, and he has decent minor league numbers. Nothing, you know, eye-popping, but I, I was watching him earlier in the week. I, I picked him up in a deeper, it's like 24-team uh, head-to-head points dynasty league, and I picked him up there, and uh, he hit like an opposite field line drive home run that was just like really impressive that I saw from Justin Williams. So he's a name in deeper leagues, especially, you know, five outfielder formats where I don't know that he's a must-add, but definitely someone that you should be paying attention to at this point. Um, few other names that you mentioned there, DJ Stewart, I think whenever he's at home going up against righties, obviously, like, there's a lot of swing and miss. He's going to hit for a low batting average, but we saw it last year. Like, the guy can hit for pop. Same thing with Billy McKinney, former Yankee great, Yankee farmhand, by the way, Billy McKinney. Um, he's got some pop. I think he's going to play specifically against right-handed pitching. It's a great park to hit in, you know, more than anybody for left-handed power there uh, in Miller Park. So, deeper leagues, if you need some pop, I think two names specifically there in TJ Stewart and Billy McKinney. How about Nico Horner, DVR? I mean, I see him available in some of my 15-team leagues, and he was great in spring training and kind of felt like they held him down early on because of service time issues, and he's looked all right so far. Um, it kind of like reinvented his swing in the offseason too, so I'm thinking he's probably someone that's going to approach like 10% fab at least in 15-team in leagues, probably even more than that, and he's someone that has my eye. Interesting. Yeah, I, I didn't think it was going to take quite that much to get him, but I, I know with the prospect pedigree, there will be some interest and they can shuffle the defensive alignment around in a way where he could stick. I mean, they could just keep playing Bryant in left field and I guess they'd have to move Peterson a little bit once he's healthy again, but you could solve that problem later or David Bodie plays less. If Horner hits and David Bodie doesn't, Horner plays second base. Like that's, yep. There's a path there. It's a lot of hit tool and not a lot of power so far. I think the the promise that he would eventually develop more power needs to be realized, but you're going to have to take the chance before you get to see it, most likely. So it's kind of now or never. If he pops a couple home runs in the upcoming week and he went without being picked up this weekend, it's going to cost you a lot next weekend to find out how real that was. So I would speculate on him. I guess the question would be, if you're looking at Horner versus the usual suspects in the middle infield, and my mind immediately goes to Freddie Galvis, the perpetually available Freddie Galvis who plays oh, yeah. a lot and has some power and is it a hitter-friendly park. Would you rather, if you were just looking for a stopgap middle infield, throw in Galvis or throw in Horner? 
I would go with Horner. I, I would. I think I would take the uh, the mystery bag there with him. And and I like what I've seen. And he ran a little bit in the spring. I think it was two home runs and three steals in spring training. So uh, I like what I've seen. And I agree. I think if if he hits, he's going to overtake David Bodie and have an opportunity to play every day. And what I would still consider one of the better lineups in baseball. We spoke about the Cubs lineup a little bit earlier on. Uh, Galvis has some upside for sure, but you know he's going to be available. So I'd rather take a shot on the the mystery of Nico Horner over Galvis. Yeah, I don't know how he's always available, but he is useful. Like, and, and I, I get it. So I, the fact of the matter is, you might get something better from Nico Horner. Uh, Bodie, he's not hitting right now. One ninety one, three hundred four, three sixty two. Even though he's lowered his K rate, he's still drawing walks. He's always been pretty good at, at piling up some barrels. So he, he's done enough damage early to his his line to possibly lose that job if the struggles persist. Got a couple of home runs, but he's definitely not locked in. Like Nico Horner is the second baseman of the future. So I think internally they probably want him to win that job and they could easily justify pushing Bodie back into like a super utility sort of role. That wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. I was definitely bummed to see Zach McKinstry go down with that oblique injury because he was taking advantage of that opportunity. Is there anybody else that you could see filling in with the Dodgers that you think could be at least viable for for deep mix leagues? I mean, Sheldon Noisy to me might be a little more NL only right now than, than deep mixer. I think I mentioned Luke Rayleigh a little bit earlier. Do you see one guy emerging to have enough value with all the injuries they've piled up? Yeah, I think Noisy, if you just have a spot available in a deeper league and you just want to, I think it's what, what we mentioned earlier, you take a shot on him now in case he has a big upcoming week so you don't have to spend as much fab later than you would have to now on someone like Noisy. But he had a really big 2019 in the minors. It was the PCL where the jaw, the the ball was just flying around everywhere there. But 317 batting average with 27 home runs, and uh, he homered the other day. I think it was his first hit with the Dodger. Uh, with the Dodgers was actually a home run. So he's the name that I would look at. And it's like the Dodgers can do no wrong. It's they they, they call these guys up, and it's like they're these middling prospects, or they find these retreads from other teams like Max Muncy and and Justin Turner, and they just turn these guys into like awesome baseball players. So whatever is Whatever they've been doing, just, I guess, keep doing it. But um, he's he's probably the name that I, I look at there, and he has a bit, little bit of upside. Yeah, I do think Noisy, because of the power he showed in the upper levels of the minor leagues, is interesting. I was kind of disappointed when the Dodgers traded for him, only in the sense that he was more buried on their depth chart. If he had stayed in Oakland, I saw a path for him to play a lot at second base there. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, all the injuries happened, so he's getting a chance, but it just seems like it's going to be very temporary for him unless those injuries end up being you know more serious than we uh, initially thought. Well, Frank, I really appreciate the time today. Appreciate you filling in for Michael Beller. Uh, before we let you go, let our listeners know where they can find your work and where they can find you on Twitter. Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Roto underscore Frank and the host of the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast with Scott White and Chris Towers. We release the podcast every morning, Monday through Friday. We also do Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, which is a Sparknotes version of the full-length podcast. So it's literally a five-minute podcast, so you can listen to that one as well if you're on the go and you don't have as much time to uh, listen to a an, an hour-long podcast. So Fantasy Baseball Today and Fantasy Baseball Today in five is where you can find my work. And DVR, thanks, man. Appreciate you having me on. Let's make a trade, man. You need some, you need some pitching. We need some hitting. I, I think we're a perfect match in, in GDD. Well, yeah, we got another opportunity to get one in today that will take effect tomorrow. So we'll try to get that done off air. Thanks to everybody for listening. If you want to check out The Athletic, $3.99 a month gets you in the door. Theathletic.com slash fantasy baseball podcast. It's a pretty good deal for a subscription to get all the team coverage, league coverage, everything we do on top of the fantasy coverage. For Frank Stample, I'm Derek Van Riper. We are back with Under the Radar on Tuesday. Mm-hmm.